0: Revealing the hidden secrets of the sea, this is Naked Oceans.
1: We've reached the concluding instalment of our two-part season finale of Naked Oceans. I'm Helen Scales, and in this last episode of the series, we're going to get a bit thoughtful and contemplate what might be in store for the future of the oceans. I catch up with some of the marine experts who we've heard from throughout the last two series and ask them about what they think the future of the oceans might hold. Are they ocean optimists or ocean pessimists? I'm a cautious optimist.
2: People always call me a pathological optimist. i probably reflecting
0: on it. i probably call myself either a gloomy optimist or, or a pragmatist, I suppose.
3: So I'm incredibly optimistic, and I reckon in 30 years I'm going to be having a glass of whiskey and celebrating with the youngsters.
1: And as well as all the problems the oceans will face in the future, and possible solutions there might be, we also ponder what great new discoveries might lie ahead. Stay tuned to find out more.
3: Supported by the Save Our Seas Foundation, this is Naked Oceans.
1: Last time on Naked Oceans, Sarah looked into the history of the oceans. And now I'm going to look to the future and what lies ahead. With unfolding exploration in the marine realm, scientists today understand more than ever before about what lives there and how these immense, complex systems work. These are undoubtedly exciting times. But we also have a clearer picture than ever before about how much the oceans are threatened by human activities. Geologically speaking, life on Earth comes and it goes. But in terms of the impacts we're having on the oceans over timescales that matter to us, the next few decades could be crucial. I've been chatting with various people who've appeared on Naked Oceans over the past two years to find out what they think the future holds. I started by asking them which ocean threats they think could be the greatest concern in the years to come.
0: Well, the the litany of threats is huge in the marine environment, um, as it is everywhere, I suppose. Um, You know, we're trying to summarise them into sort of local threats of sediments and pollution and the bigger picture threats of overfishing everywhere. And the biggest threat of all, which is climate change and its ramifications. Uh, those are the big ones for me, certainly. I think climate change is the sort of spectre hanging over all of this, really frightening us all.
1: Mark boarding there from the Nature Conservancy, raising the issue of climate change in the oceans. Something that's on the mind of everyone I spoke to. Here's National Geographic Explorer in residence, Enrique Sala. Warming and acidification of marine water is something that is so huge and affects the entire food web from the microbes to the top predators to whales, sharks, polar bears. In one of our first episodes of Naked Oceans, we spoke to John Bruno from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, back when he'd just written a review paper for the journal Science about the impacts of climate change on the oceans. When I caught up with him again recently, he'd been looking at the latest projections for climate change and ocean warming from the upcoming Fifth Assessment Report, or AR5, from the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC. The report looks at how warm the oceans are likely to get by 2100, based on different future emissions scenarios.
2: And the projections are really frightening. So we are very plausibly looking at 2 to 3, maybe even 4 degrees Celsius Celsius of warming and tropical areas. I mean, that, you know, I've known that, but somehow I got it in my head. We were only going to see a half a degree or a degree Celsius. I think reefs could handle that. Four degrees. Oh my goodness. It's just so extreme. You know, that's more than 10 degrees Fahrenheit. That would absolutely devastate not just reefs, but all kinds of tropical ecosystems, terrestrial and marine. And that is becoming a really plausible scenario just based on our recent greenhouse emissions rate and the fact that those emissions have actually been accelerating in the last few years. So, yeah, climate change is something that I'm more and more concerned about. And, of course, not just the temperature, but also the other side of that coin, the acidification problem.
1: And that acidification problem is looking to be really big. Already, the oceans have become 30 percent more acidic since the dawn of the Industrial Revolution, because much of the CO2 emitted by human activities has been absorbed into the oceans. Impacts on marine organisms that live inside calcium carbonate skeletons is already being detected, most recently among sea butterflies, the flocks of tiny mollusks that flip through pelagic waters and are a vital food source for many other animals. In parts of the Southern Ocean where natural upwelling exacerbates falling pH the shells of sea butterflies are already starting to etch and corrode away. Warming seas and acidification aren't the only knock-on effects of climate change that we're likely to see unfolding. A couple of other issues don't get a lot of attention, but they could get much worse in the future.
2: There's two ancillary effects of climate change and gas emissions that a lot of people are arguing aren't getting considered. Um, One is um, UV So we were making progress on UV, and that seems to be stalling or reversing. Um, So Carlos Duarte, for example, is arguing that UV is a big cause of invertebrate and invertebrate larval um, fish um, and larval invertebrate um, mortality in the plankton. Um, And then the other big one, of course, is the effect of temperature on oxygen concentration And so the big thing that's going to happen when the oceans warm, the tropical oceans warm, is that they just hold very little oxygen. So the warmer the water is, the less oxygen it holds, Um, the higher the metabolism of of animals, and therefore they need more oxygen. Those two things really kind of coincide to kill animals, um, you know, above 31, 32, 33 degrees Celsius. And that's just going to be, you know, simple mortality, not, you know, kind of some indirect process like coral bleaching or disease enhancement or anything. So that's a really big um, concern that never gets talked about as well.
1: And there's no doubt anymore that tackling climate change is going to be a huge challenge. We know what the solution is. We need to cut our greenhouse gas emissions. And the problem is that it's very difficult to implement. At the very earliest, a decision about a global treaty to bring down greenhouse gas emissions will be made in 2015, with new targets to go in force by 2020. By which time, as many climate models predict, it might already be too late to avoid an average temperature increase – of at least two degrees and possibly a lot higher. And maybe by that stage, the world will be forced to think about taking radical steps to deal with the problem. Here's Mark Spaulding.
0: Climate change, again, is just too big. We know the, we know the problem, we know the solution, but actually applying the solution is, is going to be huge. I think, uh, this maybe sticks my neck out of it, I think that climate change is going to just keep advancing for some time to come, and we're going to be forcing ourselves towards thinking about geoengineering and that's not a solution we know yet. We've got some ideas which are quite frightening themselves. But we're going to have to. I think things are moving so fast. And um, you know, by the time we turn things around, its temperatures are going to have changed. Whole climatic systems are going to have changed. And the ocean is going to be changing. What will those solutions be? I don't know. I mean, technology advances incredibly fast. And so there's a sort of quiet optimist in me that thinks we might think of something. But that's a it's that's a pretty tenuous thread to hang your hopes on.
1: So, climate change and all its scary ramifications is looking to be the big problem the oceans will face in the coming decades.
3: Are there really plenty more fish in the sea? Find out with Naked Oceans.
1: You're listening to the last episode of Naked Oceans as we take a look into what might lie in store for the future of the oceans. As well as climate change, other threats that we see in the oceans today will no doubt continue for some time to come. But at least for some of these, there are some more tangible solutions already available.
0: We have many of the solutions in our toolkits, particularly when you think about the local issues and the local threats, the issues of overfishing. Huge progress is being made on overfishing in some places. Um, Really positive stories that are benefiting people as well as nature.
1: But as John Bruno points out, there's still a very long way to go. I
2: really still think overfishing is not recognised at the level of the problem it is
1: recently jane lubchenko stepped down as head of noaa the national oceanic and atmospheric administration in the us and when she left she wrote to her staff discussing all the accomplishments they'd made over the last four years
2: the first thing she said was ending overfishing and you know i just had to laugh ending overfishing and what she meant was overfishing in the continuous us 48 states and by the definition definition of NOAA's fisheries manager, what overfishing is, you know, which to an ecologist or an ecosystem scientist or a conservationist is just a ridiculous definition of overfishing because you can have suppressed the population down to, you know, 10 to 20% of its initial size and declare it not overfished. And besides, most species that are fished in U.S. waters are not even considered by NOAA. So, you know, you go to Puerto Rico, the U.S. Virgin Islands, um, you know, they fish just about all the reef fish, right? So all the paired fish, a lot of the wrasses, um, a lot of things that are completely off Noah's radar screen. And those things are suppressed, you know, at least 50, 75, 90% below their baseline biomass. And so I still don't think even our federal administrators and fisheries managers really get the extent of the problem.
1: One thing that Mark Spalding brought up was that ultimately, and perhaps quite surprisingly, He thinks that saving the oceans might not come down to the work of conservationists like himself, but that a much more far-reaching change among people needs to take place.
0: I think the line I'm beginning to take is that we've almost got to get conservationists out of the equation, which is a kind of weird thing to say. But the arguments we're beginning to make now are actually quite compelling arguments on multiple fronts. You know, there are fishermen who will stand up in Belize and tell you that they know what to do. They might have been taught it by conservationists, but they know the answer. And they're managing their own resources. And there are systems like that around the world now where nature is holding its own in the arguments actually we can say that nature is important for people. And if we can get people to grasp that and work it out and do the economics and believe it, then I think the whole thing should start to snowball without nature conservationists. And um, of course we have a lot to contribute to the argument, but we're just such a tiny body of people. If you were to get all the marine conservationists in the world together, we would probably make up the crew of one or two, you know, ocean cruise ships. That's it. We're tiny and it's a you know it's a David and Goliath battle or worse, and we can't possibly win that on our own. We have to persuade people, and once they've got the arguments, they can persuade each other, and we come out of the equation completely, and I think that's the only way we'll really achieve traction and progress at the scale we need to.
1: And perhaps the most worrying thing about the changes taking place in the oceans is there is still so much that we don't fully comprehend.
0: The known unknowns, this sort of stuff that we're getting that may or may not be a problem. But if it is a problem, you know, really, God help us. Ocean acidification may not be quite as bad as as it looks, but if you read the worst predictions, it's really frightening. And there'll be other stories like that. Um, Deoxygenation of the deep oceans is another huge area which we're just beginning to start thinking about. Um, But it could turn out into something absolutely massive that we just can't fathom. Um, Declining productivity in the ocean surface water seems to be a story that seems to be already detectable, we don't really know what's driving it, but, you know, that could turn into something that changes the entire atmospheric chemistry of the planet. So those things there, hopefully none of them will come to fruition, but if you start thinking about them, they can keep you awake at night.
1: Another worrying aspect to ocean threats is the fact that none of these problems occur in isolation. It's not the case of a bleached coral reef here and a depleted fish population there, but threats pile up, one on top of the other, often interacting in unexpected and complex ways, depleting the resilience and functioning of ecosystems. So, given all we know about the impacts human lives are having on the oceans and predictions that it could all get a lot worse, can we be optimistic about the future of the oceans? Or is it all just doom and gloom? Here's ocean explorer Paul Rose, who we originally spoke to at the Reefs at Risk Revisited launch in 2011. That was the latest report to document the global status of coral reefs and forecast what lies in store for them in the years to come. I caught up with Paul to find out how he's feeling about the oceans.
3: Most of us live in urban environments, and it's beginning to bite. It's beginning to tell, and it's beginning to hurt. And what that means is people have actually started to realise how important it is that we understand and protect our ecosystems and biodiversity. Now, I've seen the next generation, and they're flipping fantastic. They're bright people. So I think in the next 30 years, we really are going to do some clever things. We're going to work out how to control our population growth. We're going to make some sensible adaptations to climate change that's already occurring. And most importantly, we're going to learn to understand and protect our ecosystem services and biodiversity. And we can't do that without understanding the ocean. And we've had this historical view of us all living on the land and the seas out there somewhere. But we're finally coming to the realisation that the earth is 99% water. And we're living on little bits of land. So it's time to understand the greatest, most important ecosystem on the planet. So I'm incredibly optimistic. And I reckon in 30 years, I'm going to be having a glass of whiskey and celebrating with the youngsters.
1: Don Bruno shares Paul's optimism, although for slightly different reasons.
2: Uh, well, people, in particular my PhD advisor, always called me a pathological optimist. And sometimes my graduate students think that too, in terms of just optimism about what can be accomplished during a field season or a field trip. Um, so in general, I think I have a very optimistic outlook, and I tend to have an optimistic outlook about the oceans. Um, you know, I don't think I'm in denial about how much has changed in the in the threats to ocean ecosystems, but I still have a lot of optimism. I've been discussing this a lot with friends and colleagues, and and you know, a lot of people point out, well, there's just no scientific basis to be optimistic about coral reefs or any other ecosystem, and I kind of dispute that. But ultimately, I think optimism comes more from, you know, a perception, a feeling, you know, it's almost, you know, a philosophical outlook rather than scientific, you know, so we don't really form emotions based on scientific evidence um, for or against them. So I think that really just, again, comes from my outlook.
1: Mark Spalding's outlook isn't quite as cheery, but as he says, we have to remember that all is not yet lost.
0: I probably... Reflecting on it, I'd probably call myself either a gloomy optimist or, or a pragmatist, I suppose, something like that. Um, I think the oceans have changed so much in the last decades, really, beyond recognition in many places. And I think, you know, we, we, we've got to live with that. We're not going to get everything back to pristine. There's too many people and we've got too many needs. That can make you very pessimistic. You can dive on a coral reef in the Caribbean, and if you know what it used to be like, you can be pretty depressed about it. But actually, if you look at the eyes of the person who does their first dive on a coral reef today, they 're totally thrilled by what they see and we have to I think we have to keep that in balance that you know nature is still fantastic, maybe it was better once, but we 're still getting wonders out there and enjoying them and that 's I guess optimistic
2: you know I do go to plenty of places in the world that are still. Obviously not pristine, but still just, you know, wondrous and so full of life. And, you know, there's big fish and living corals and other benthic invertebrates. I mean, there's just so much left out there. We are so far still, luckily, from an ocean dominated just by jellyfish and slime. Although I understand we may be headed in that direction. I think we're many decades or many centuries away from getting there. So I do think we have a lot of time to turn things around.
1: I also spoke with marine scientist and explorer Sylvia Earle, who we first met at the launch of the Census of Marine Life. Her optimism comes from knowing about the impacts humans are having on the oceans and the fact that now is the time to do something about it.
4: There are a lot of smart creatures on the planet, not just humans, including squids and octopuses <laughs> and quite a few fish that are clearly intelligent. I think about stomatopods. Most people don't think about stomatopods, but I do because they're just amazing creatures and their ability to solve problems and figure things out in extraordinary ways. We we think we're the only ones, but we're not, but we are the only ones. In fact, this is the only time in history that even humans have been able to look at the skies above and realize that we are within this universe of largely inhospitable places. And the earth itself could be very inhospitable to us unless we take deliberate measures now on our watch. Because not only is this the first time that we have begun to connect the dots and see ourselves in perspective and see that our actions have altered the nature of nature. And it's the last time, perhaps, that we'll have an opportunity to do something about it. I mean, the last little window of time. How long? Is it 10 years? Is it 20 or 50? Whatever it is, the window is closing. But it isn't too late to reverse these trends that should have everyone's rapt attention. We should be paying attention as if our lives depend on it because they do.
1: One reason that a lot of people are hopeful about the future of the oceans is the positive effect of protecting areas of the sea. Here's Enrique Sala. I'm a cautious optimist. There are things that we are not going to be able to bring back, but there are bright spots, success stories, like marine reserves that are protected from fishing where marine life comes back. And these success stories give me some hope. But there are limitations to protected areas.
2: So I think we need a lot more marine reserves, you know, 20, 30, maybe more percent of the ocean covered by those. But more importantly, I, they have to be enforced. We rarely enforce the marine reserves that we designate. That's what we need to do. In fact, I'm moving towards just literally armed enforcement, the way we protect rhinos and African elephants. I mean, we need people out there protecting this invaluable resource for all the people that depend on it economically. You know, we protect banks with, you know, alarm systems and weapons and people and other valuable resources. And, you know, a coral reef is worth just millions and millions of dollars every year, even a small part of it. So, uh, you know, I just think we need to really move forward in our enforcement of our marine reserves. So that's, you know, one big hope.
1: So it might strike you as a bit of a militant approach, but maybe what we'll need are heavily armed ocean patrols to protect valuable parts of the sea. And while MPAs are no doubt vital for ocean conservation, as Mark Spaulding points out, what about all the rest of the ocean that doesn't and never will lie within marine protected areas?
0: We're gradually heading towards 10% of the world's oceans, which means 90% isn't even thought about by those people who think marine protected areas are the answer. We've got to get beyond that. We've got to think about the entirety of ocean space, and that means working with everyone and trying to get them all to share a vision or to at least be willing to take a cut rather than try and get everything for themselves all the time.
1: As well as our efforts to protect the remaining areas of healthy habitat – Advances are also being made in our abilities to restore marine ecosystems.
0: We've known for quite a while we can restore mangrove forests. And of course there have been some pretty spectacular failures, but there's huge areas of now. About 3% of all the world's mangroves are replanted by people. And so we can put nature back and we can enhance and encourage recovery. We're doing lots on oyster reefs in North America, and there's talk about doing that in Europe. That'll be really exciting. It's a habitat that's extinct really, in Europe, but it could come back. It used to be incredibly important. And there's even talk now about being able to restore coral reefs at largish scales, and that's a point of hope. And this is in the Caribbean, where the big reef-building corals, two species only in the Caribbean, which used to grow the reefs, the structures on which so much else depends, uh, and are virtually extinct thanks to various combinations of threats. There's now 30,000 of these little corals being grown up in nurseries across the Caribbean, and they're starting to plant them out in the wild. Now, it it feels a little bit hopeless. I mean, 30,000 sounds a lot, but spread out, it's nothing. But if you put them out in the right places in the right arrays, if they've been bred as they seem to be a little bit more robust than what died, um, you may overcome what's called the alley effect, which is there's just not enough anymore to have a reproductively viable population. You might overcome that and they might start reproducing themselves and you might start seeing recovery. Now, that'd be pretty fantastic to be able to restore coral reefs because a lot of people are very gloomy about the future of coral reefs. So I I would keep restoration as an important new, whether it's a technology or a a technique, I don't know, but let's keep that on on the radar screens as something that's going to grow.
1: Well, we've taken a look at some of the likely problems the oceans will continue to face in the future. And while things clearly aren't going to get any easier for the oceans, on a more positive note, there are other ways in which progress continues in leaps and bounds, and that's our understanding of the lives and processes that drive ocean ecosystems. Incredible discoveries are still being made, and we've come such a long way since the days when the ocean was an unseen realm filled with terrifying mythical monsters. But there's still masses we don't know about the ocean realm. And that is truly exciting. John Bruno is currently updating a major textbook about marine ecology. And he's taken on the task of compiling all the new sites that's been pouring out of the oceans in the last decade.
2: It, it just is blowing our minds how much we've learned in a decade. You know, since I graduated with my PhD, and even then I have the sense it's all learned, it's all in textbooks. You know, there's a few rough edges we need to sort out. I mean, the field has just completely overturned. I mean, we could practically throw out everything we learned before 2000. There's just so much new knowledge has come in. And I just find that so exciting and so important to get across to undergraduates. It's incredible how much we don't know, you know.
0: The ocean is hugely mysterious still in a way that is quite hard for landlubbers to really grasp. You know, the stories of how recently we discovered things, you know, whether it's the the volcanic vents of the Galapagos, which were in the 70s, I think it was not until the 80s that we really started understanding about picoplankton, the smallest forms of productivity in the ocean, which weren't being caught in the filters because the filters were too big. This stuff is tiny, but it makes maybe up to 50% of the productivity of the ocean surface, which affects the entire climate of the planet. We didn't even know they were there. And we're just beginning to work out how important they are.
2: One thing I really want to know, you know, I still don't think we understand how coral reefs work. Uh, Even basic things that i think we've been studying for decades i mean i don't think we understand just the energy flow where the energy comes from you know what the role of the plankton is in coral reef food webs i don't think we really have any idea you know how much of the energy being produced by coral reefs comes from the plankton sort of via external sources versus um, benthic macroalgae the zooxanthellae in the corals so we don't know about the energy flow I don't even think we really have a good handle on what determines coral reef fish communities, whether there's lots of reef fish there or very few. We all know fishing is a really big driver in losing coral reef fish. But, you know, I go to places where there's still fishing, where there's lots of fish, in some places where there's no fishing, where there's not many fish. And, you know, that's not to deny the role of fishing, but to just point out, there's a lot of other big things going on, things like currents and upwelling and local productivity that attract fish. And we've really, nobody's even looking at that. And it's just, you know, we think of it as kind of minor background noise. And I just think, first of all, it's super interesting. We need to understand it. And it's really hard to detect the role of fishing when we don't ever account for all this background stuff. Just all these big unknowns.
0: So it's a place of wonder. There's going to be lots more exciting things coming up along the way. I hope some of the exciting things we'll learn will be also some of the messages of hope for things like these threats, that actually things will be more robust than we, than we expect, because we just don't know enough even about the physiology of anything to know really whether it's going to be able to cope with acidification or there may be some genetic or physiological mechanism in these organisms that makes them more robust and buys us a bit more time to sort out our interventions. So there's so much still to be discovered, and on a much more local almost personal level, when you go to the ocean, you always see something that amazes or takes your breath away.
1: Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what lies in store for the future of the oceans. So that's it. That was the last episode of Naked Oceans. If you haven't already listened to all the others, then you can find them in a permanent online archive, including heaps of information about ocean science and conservation. That's at thenakedscientist.com forward slash oceans. It just leaves for me to say a big thank you to John Bruno, Mark Spalding, Paul Rose, Sylvia Earle and Enrique Sala. And to all our other wonderful contributors, way too many to mention, who've lent their voices and ideas to Naked Oceans over the last two years. And of course, thanks to you for listening. Goodbye.
4: Naked Oceans is produced by the Naked Scientists and supported by the Save Our
0: Seas Foundation. For more information, look them up online at saveourseas.com.